This is Father Gregory Pine. And this is Father Jacob Burton Jancic. And welcome to Godsplaining. Thanks to all of those who support us. If you enjoy the show, please consider making a monthly donation on Patreon. Be sure to like and subscribe to Godsplaining wherever you listen to your podcasts. So we're very delighted on this episode of Planning to have with us Sister Miriam James Heidland, uh, who is a former Division I athlete. I made sure to pepper in athletic jokes before we pushed record, so that way I would get them out of my system and cause fewer occasions of like groaning and lamentation. But she had a radical conversion and joined the Society of Our Lady of the Most Holy Trinity, which you may know as the Salt Congregation, in 1998. Her story has been featured on EWTN's The Journey Home, she speaks at SEEK conferences, um, much to the delight of all those present. She is often, you know, one of those for whom people come, uh, and at Steubenville conferences and in other outlets. She holds a master's degree in theology from the Augustine Institute and speaks extensively on the topics of conversion, authentic love, forgiveness, and healing. And we're going to focus especially on those last two themes in the time that we have together. She's affiliated with the John Paul II Healing Center in leading healing retreats for priests and religious sisters across the nation. And when it comes to following good things for Sister uh, Miriam James, after you're done listening to this episode, you can listen to the podcast to which she contributes with two other women called Abiding Together, which is found where podcasts are found. And her book, Restore, a guided Latin journal, and Loved As I Am can both be found on Amazon. And they are at the top of the bestseller lists for Catholicism and have been for many, many weeks. So wonderful resources there. And if you want to follow her on Twitter, she is available at one groovy nun, which is, <laughs> which is awesome. So Sister Mary and James, we're so delighted to have you on the show. Thanks so much for joining us. Hi, friends. I'm delighted to be here with you. How lovely to spend time with you today. It is, it is a joy for us. Um, you said earlier that you're coming to us from Corpus Christi. Is that yeah. a kind of hub? For Salt, is that, um, yeah, is, is the convent there associated with a particular ministry or a particular thing? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so we are nestled down deep into the great nation of Texas, uh, Corpus Christi, Texas. So our headquarters are there. And so this is the seat of our community. We're actually applying for uh, pontifical approval. So we're waiting for the Holy See to finally approve us. So um, until that time, uh, it's been for many years that the Corpus Christi has been the seat of our community. So our general superiors live here, our regional superiors, and then we have several missions. but. Usually like in a typical diocese, we have one parish with priests and sisters and some laity and that's, but Corpus Christi, we're very well represented here, so. Wonderful. And I mean, it's a beautiful Catholic name for what it sounds like is a beautiful Catholic city in many regards. Mm -hmm. Texas is becoming like the new center of Catholicism in America. It's like Texas and Florida, which is wild because for us East Coasters, we lament the fact that we have failed, but hopefully we can get back in the business a little later once this new evangelization really takes root in the wild barren deserts of New England and the Mid-Atlantic. <laughs> missionaries um, from Texas to, to New England. That's what, we look, <laughs> that's what we're waiting for, for the missionaries to come from Texas. Yeah. Uh, that'll be the day. That will be the day. All it right. It's interesting so, how demographics change. I do have to say, because I do a lot of parish missions, so I travel all over the U.S., and the culture is very different. You know, and just like what is on the East Coast, you look at these old Irish churches or Italian churches or... Polish churches or just kind of like how Ireland used to send us all their priests. It, and it's not like they probably need us to send a few. <laughs> it's just interesting how like, the, like what the Holy Spirit does over the course of centuries and kind of like why things shift the way they do. But yeah, it's interesting to noticing what's happening in the church right now. Mm -hmm. It is indeed. Yeah. I, what was somebody was telling me recently that in Ireland, which I think is like 20 something dioceses, there's the one seminary in Maynooth 
and there might be like 10 to 15 seminarians, uh, which is astonishing when you think of where they were previously. But hopefully, yeah, like you said, that portends well for future life, future restoration, future renovation. But um, we're going to kind of get right into the theme for this particular episode, which is forgiveness uh, and then the healing that comes from it, which is a theme that you speak on often and beautifully. Um, so when it comes to forgiveness, I think that maybe just to start, a lot of us have difficulty pinning down what forgiveness means because we feel like we've forgiven and then the emotions or the kind of traumatic memories return and we feel our insides kind of churning again or twisting again. And then we're not entirely sure whether we've forgiven. So maybe it'd be good just to start with a kind of what basic definition or a, a basic lay of the land as to what you think is a good way to approach forgiveness. What would we even, yeah, what would we even say forgiveness is? That's just a great question, isn't it? And I, I think, you know, Jesus puts that at the heart of the Our Father, and but then doesn't really help, like in a sense, like explain to us how do you do that? <laughs> like forgive us our trespasses, but like how are we supposed to do that? And I, I mean, we could go on for hours about that, but I, I think we could quote your favorite Saint Thomas Aquinas and talk about how forgiveness is offering an undeserved gift, and so it's the whole process of um, of forgiveness being about love and honoring our hearts and that it's a process, not an event. And it really is offering someone an undeserved gift is it is surrendering our grasp and our desire for revenge and the demand that they pay back what they owe us. And it is surrendering justice to a higher authority and allowing Christ to come and transform our hearts. And I think there, there's just so many nuances. To, I know one of the reasons why I, I know one of the reasons why I stayed addicted so long and clinically depressed and all kinds of things in my heart was because I had part of it was a massive misunderstanding of what forgiveness was. And I thought I knew, like I, I was even a religious sister. I thought I knew. And I, but I really, what I really found out in my heart is that when I, when I thought about my deepest wounds, the things that kept coming to the surface and that were causing me so much misery, um, I thought that if I forgave that person, I was going to let them off the hook mm. and they were going to get away with it. And it was so grievous and so destructive in my life that I, and I remember being younger saying, I will never forgive him. I, I will never do because it was so, and so to forgive felt like a defeat and it felt like, well, you're fine. Like you're fine. You go on with your life. You're fine. I'm the one who's still suffering. And so I think the understanding, not just intellectually, but in the heart of what happens in forgiveness and of what Christ is inviting us to is profoundly transformative and to honor our emotions and, and to take a full account of what was taken. Cause you have to do that. That's why it's heroic, but allowing the Lord to come and speak to us because this is a tremendously courageous journey. And it's a journey that we all must make if we want to be well. One of the things in with forgiveness and that I, I guess, often come across, whether that's chatting with people, hearing confessions, spiritual direction is um, that kind of what you were describing, like, or not kind of, but what you're describing is a misunderstanding of like, well, what is this? And that it's forgiveness. I like how you put that, that it's not an event, it's a process. And one of the things that I try to um, convey, even if they're in short conversations is a sort of like management of expectations of like, you know, what, what actually constitutes forgiveness. And then what is like, this, this sounds perhaps too secular to apply here, but like, what does success here look like? Like, what yeah. does growth here look like? Is it, is it this sort of total, like pretending that nothing happened moving on sort of thing? Well, well, no, it's, it's not, you know, this is, this isn't what we're after. So um, yeah, you kind of talked about it a little bit, but I guess as far as like, I think a lot of people want to know what the end product looks like to to be able to forgive. Like, when am I going to be done with this type 
thing, you know, and I don't know if there's a good answer. Perhaps you have a better answer than, than I would have, but what are your, what's your response to that? What are your thoughts on that? Like, it's good to know the end of things when we're chasing after something and if we're looking for forgiveness, like, what does that look like? You know, what is, what are we striving after even? Mm -hmm. Well, I think, Father, that's a great question. And I, I think that, um, what we're really looking for, and I'm not saying this to be pietistic, but we're looking to love like Christ. Like, could you imagine, and just, you guys can think in your own life. I think it's just think of some of your deepest wounds in your own life and the places where, where we still harbor hardness of heart, or we still harbor self-protection because it doesn't feel safe. Right. And you just think of what's, what's happening in our hearts. I mean, could you imagine, and I think about this all the time, especially as we come you know, we just come to these holy days. It's like, could you imagine being so free in your life that you could withstand the assaults of another and, and, and feel them deeply and then offer them to the father and allow them to be transformed into intercession for the one who hurt you. I mean, could you imagine being that free where we're not like self-righteous and like judgmental and harsh and all the things we do because our hearts are in pain that ultimately that we could receive another and not lose sight of the person of who they are and take the wounds they've inflicted upon us and be honest of what's happened and then offer them to the father and, and show that person love and mercy and understanding. I mean, I, that's, that's the end game. Like that's the, that's what we're going for because this is what Je Jesus is showing us how to be human. I remember I did a silent retreat many years ago with the wonderful um, Jesuit priest. And he said, you know, he talked about how Christ comes into the world naked and vulnerable and he leaves naked and vulnerable. And he's like, you know, sister, Mary, he's showing us what it means to be human. And so in the catechism, it talks about how it's not, I love it. It's not in our power to not feel, which is so great. It's not in our power not to feel or to forget an offense, but through the purification of the Holy Spirit, our wounds are turned into intercession and compassion for the one who hurt us. I'm like, that's freedom. Like that, that is true. You're a free man or a free woman. When we can start to live like that, that's stunning. That's radical. And that's stunning. And that's how Christ lives. I want to return. I'm getting jazzed right now. So this is great. Um, <laughs> I want to return to this idea of like ceding control because I suspect that that, yeah, that resonates with me for sure. Mm -hmm. Because if you can evaluate in terms of justice, then you always have a kind of bargaining chip. It's like the way that the 21st century uses outrage and offense as a kind of currency, right? I'm fine just so long as I'm more offended than you, or I can claim some kind of, what would I say? Yeah, like some kind of injustice that, that puts me in a position of control, that puts me in a position of power. But, but when you forgive somebody, you give up the right to that in a certain sense, you lose the high ground because you, you can no longer evaluate on that level in the same way. You just have to simply say like, I love and I make myself vulnerable to love or I open myself to love, which is terrible. Like, I mean, the prospect of it is terrible. So how is this not just a kind of like, like a, a pietistic culture of victimization? How am I not just opening myself up to be run over, to be absolutely like mowed down by those who are less scrupulous in their religious commitments than I am? I'm scared. <laughs> oh, Father, I, yeah, I want to honor your heart there because that's, you hit exactly on when all of us, when we withhold forgiveness, like, what are we trying to do? We're, we're trying to stop the pain. And it's, so it's our way of however we do it, of trying to stop the pain, whether that's taking like the moral high ground or pushing that person away. And I'm not talking about healthy boundaries. There are some people in our life that, that we can't be in relationship with or close to because they're not well enough. And that that's, has nothing to do with forgiveness and reconciliation. Like that's, that's healthy living. That's part of actually, you know, claiming the truth of who we are. But 
but that the reality of, yeah, we have to decide at some point, like when Jesus is inviting us into the true life, like, what am I getting out of this? Like, what am I getting out of my grudge or the way that I gossip about that person? Cause I'm actually really hurt by what they did. So I'm like pretending I'm better than they are. Those are all just, oh, those are all ways we are so trying to save ourselves. And, and the, I think something that helped me, I mean, you know, cause you guys know this much better than me. Like you St. Thomas Aquinas talks about how really forgiveness and it's about, it is about justice. It is about, you know, giving somebody their due. And because of who we are as, you know, image and likeness of God, when somebody takes something from us, when love is withheld or love is withdrawn, there is, when there is an injustice that has to be accounted for. And I think that's part of what we skip over is like the truth that that person has hurt you and there's a reason why you're hurting. And we often say to ourselves and other people, well, you shouldn't just feel like that, like get over it. That, that is so not helpful because we're angry for a reason. It's never random. Our emotions are never random. They're always about something. And so understanding like what, what's the vulnerable part of you? Like what, like what was hurt? Like what's happening there? Like, what do you want to do? You want to seek revenge? You want to get that person to stop hurting you? And, and it seems like the illusion of, if I forgive, if I forgive, I'm just opening myself up to being abused or being violated. And that's, that's actually not true because when we actually forgive and we offer somebody an undeserved gift, we're actually leaving justice to a higher authority. Like we're leaving justice to God. Every single one of us is going to give an account for our lives, you know, and, and Jordan Peterson, many years ago, when he was giving a lecture, somebody asked him, you know, they said, what do you, Dr. Peterson, what have you learned in 20 years of, you know, being a clinical psychologist and a professor and traveling the world now? And it was really great because he got really quiet and he just said, I've learned that nobody gets away with anything. Mm -hmm. Nobody gets away with anything. All of us, all of us will give an account. And so when I'm, when I'm offering somebody an undeserved gift, like the way God offers that to me, I'm leaving justice to a higher authority and I'm surrendering. I'm releasing my grasp, like the unforgiving servant. I'm releasing my grasp upon the fellow servant in the household. And I'm, I'm commending them to God and saying, Lord, you, you take care of this because justice will be served. And I'm asking you to take care of my heart, not me to live in self-protection, which is two totally different ways of living. Yeah, the, I think um, when, we were, when we were talking, starting to talk about the topic of forgiveness, we, were do, we did so in conjunction with healing yeah. um, and, and the sort of the idea of, yeah, I mean, if there's, if there's something, if there's an offense that has, um, that has caused us or that, that begs for forgiveness. There's also an event that begs for healing. Yeah. Um, and often I, when we, when we talk about forgiveness and, and rightfully so forgiveness is, is usually kind of other oriented in ways. Like it involves another person, the offender, and whether or not there's like, there, there's a relationship with the offender or, or that relationship has ended. It still requires like another, you know, another human being in, in that equation. Healing, I guess, does in some ways, but has a lot more to do, I don't, not, not to kind of, yeah, it has a lot more to do with like, with you and kind of, and, and especially like your relationship with the Lord and the mercy you receive. So I, I don't know, could you talk about, maybe I'm trying to draw a distinction where there isn't a distinction or there is a difference between these two, like related of like forgiveness and healing when in these kind of circumstances, could you, yeah, could you talk like, what, do, what does healing, what does that look like in conjunction with forgiveness? What does that you know, what's kind of the process there? What are we, yeah, what are we looking for in sort of the healing reality of, you know, we can't change the past. Um, so how do we kind of grow and heal from the wounds and the offenses committed and those sort of things? Yeah, that's great. That's great, Father, because they actually go hand in hand. Because when we talk about healing, we're not talking about fixing. And we're not talking about like some fringe movement of the church of like, oh, that they have a healing ministry. We're not talking about anything. We're talking actually Pope Benedict in his book, Jesus of Nazareth, 
said that healing is at the central dimension of the gospel. It's, it, that's actually what redemption is because healing is wholeness and communion. Healing is not fixing. It's not managing. It's not trying to make yourself better on your own accord. Healing literally is wholeness and communion. And because of what happened in the garden, the original sin of the rupture of relationship, it's from that one rupture that every other rupture takes place. So our sin, every sin that sometimes people say like, you know, I just do a lot of work in, in healing ministry with, with priests and bishops and sisters and lay people. I mean, and it's very common for people to be like, oh, I don't have any wounds, but mm. you know, if we don't have any wounds, that means we don't have any sin. And how could we say that we don't have any sin? Like every sin causes wounds. And many times we sin out of our wounds. And so what Jesus is doing when you study the gospels and like all of salvation history, like in Colossians and Corinthians, St. Paul talks about how Jesus comes to reconcile everything to the father. So that means he's reconciling you, you, you and I mentally, emotionally, spiritually, physically as men and women. And so every act where there's a rupture, the Lord is desiring to bring us into wholeness and communion. So if we take that truth and we apply it to forgiveness, you can see where areas where we have unforgiveness, we can see that there's rupture there. There's disintegration, there's shattering. And we might think we're managing well, but there's a huge gaping wound that's, that's festering. And the Lord would love to come into that place of anger, of bitterness, of rage, of fear, of sorrow, which actually is the both end of healing with ourselves, with God and with others. And so it's always a continuum of, of wholeness and communion, which is an echo of the garden and it's a foreshadowing of, of heaven. So that this is our life. Like this is, this is how it works. <laughs> this is Jesus coming into every part of our life and bringing us into his own beautiful life. So just thinking then about, okay, forgiveness and thinking about healing, which forgiveness bears, but healing, which like you said, is part of every Christian vocation or is just more central to the gospel than as one particular aspect of one particular thing. Um, I'm thinking here about the wounds of Christ because it was actually, we were doing an episode about wounds and it was in conjunction with that episode where people were like, yeah, yeah, decent episode. But if you want to get real busy on this subject, get Sister Miriam James on the channel. So we're like, okay, all right, <laughs> don't take it. Um, so just thinking about the wounds of Christ, yeah. there are different aspects that kind of are set forward in the gospel um, accounts, which, uh, which highlight for us the power of the efficacy of these wounds. So on the one, you know, like you think about the wound, and the side of Christ from which flows blood and water, which we associate right, with baptism and the Eucharist with the whole sacramental order. You think about the fact that it's like John 20, that Mary Magdalene, um, you know, like recognizes the Lord in a certain sense as changed, but similar. And that later in that chapter, St. Thomas recognizes him precisely by his wounds. So there's something that we affirm in the wound. So it's not just to say, like you said, like set this thing aside live otherwise but like there, there's something there's something that's transpiring in the midst of our wounds or through our wounds or what's the language for to describe that without glorifying the wounds without making it such that when i tell my vocation story i spend 17 minutes describing sins and 30 seconds describing grace like what is what is the balance to be struck as we enter the wounds of christ oh i love that you asked that because it's the wounds of christ it's the pattern of his woundedness where he in you know, the song of the suffering servant of isaiah where he literally takes on, I don't think we under, I mean, and I can't, we can't, we're so little. Like, I don't think we understand the depth of Christ's desire to be intimate with us. Of he, we're, we're, we're all ashamed of our wounds, let's be honest. Like, that's why we try so hard to hide them. We, we are ashamed because we think, we think it makes us unlovable. And the things that have happened to us, things we've done, things we've done to ourselves and other people. So we, at all costs, try to hide those. We put on our, all of our sets of fig leaves. 
But what Jesus is showing us in his wounds is he takes on our temptation, he takes on our sin, he takes on our suffering, he takes on being pierced, he takes on scourging, being spit upon, being like told he's crazy and he's a drunkard and a glutton, he's out of his mind. He takes all that on himself. He takes everything else into himself and he transforms them into glorification that no matter what's happened in our life, that what, no matter where the enemy has come to steal, kill, and destroy, that is in the very places where the enemy has come to, to destroy us, that Jesus comes to bring us life. Like he presses his wound to our wounds and he, he's, he's not ashamed of his wounds. Like, and you see he rises from the dead with his wounds open. And he's teaching us, he, he's like taking Thomas's hand saying, I, come, like come, they know him by his wounds. Like St. Teresa of Avila, that famous legend of her, you know, having the apparition of Christ and discerning it wasn't him. And how she knew that is because he came with no wounds. And so he's teaching us, my dear friends, like he's teaching us, what do we do with our wounds? We don't hide them or pretend they're not there. We actually take them and unite them into the heart of Jesus. And he transforms them into glory. And it's, I mean, can't we say that's a beautiful paradox of Christianity that, and I'm sure you guys could relate in your own life of like the very places where your heart has been shattered. I know for myself, like the very places that I fought so hard in my life to hide, the very places where my heart has been shattered, like the love that comes from those places is like a way I would have never known otherwise. So I can I can tell you today, I'm grateful for my wounds. I'm, I'm not excusing any sin that came out of them. I'm not excusing that, but I'm grateful for them because I am learning still to this day to love in a way that I would have never, I would have never found on my own. And it's the beautiful song that Christ sings through our wounds. It's a song of heaven, of his love, you know? Yeah, I think, at, like, I mean, of course, at the heart of Christ, at the heart of uh, discipleship, at the heart of our faith is, love <laughs> that there's like that's it you know saint paul tells us that christ shows us that that there's nothing you know if you want to know about christianity and about christ no no love yeah. um and that what you just said about being lovable is you know that i think if if we kind of what get do away with all of the sort of not do away with them but sort of look through and past all the details of our wounds of our desire to forgive, to be healed and all of this. It, it's just what you were saying, sister, that it's like, we just want to be loved. Yeah. We just want to be loved. And I think being hurt, being wounded, being offended, um, it, it, it's, it's a trick of the devil mm -hmm. of, of Satan to then say, well, because of this, you're less lovable. Mm -hmm. You're harder to love until you're able to forgive. You're a bad person because you can't forgive. And because you are not forgiving well who could ever forgive you and if you can't be forgiven then are you are you loved are you lovable um so there's this yeah i think at, at heart this question of our lovability mm -hmm. um that we that we strive that we that we just want we, as you said our lord desires this intimacy with us to love us and and we kind of want it but sometimes our sin others people you know it gets in the way what do you i mean as far as like thinking about how do we how do we become convinced of that fact? I guess it may perhaps it's a growth in faith, but how do we become more and more sure of the reality that we are lovable, not simply loved, but like lovable that we can be loved? What, yeah. What do you, I don't know. What do you see there? What do you think is helpful mm -hmm. there? Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's the deepest desire of the human heart is to, to be, to be unconditionally loved. I mean, that's just the way that God has set us up, even from the womb, like where we're cared for and where everything's taken care of for. And, and that's not, that's a beautiful thing. And that feels very vulnerable to us. So many times we, 
I think especially my heart goes out to men, especially because like many times you don't have a language to be able to articulate that or to admit that you have weaknesses or that you have a need is so hard for men, especially. And it, it Jesus is showing us in that of, of the truth of, of who we are. And I think I really believe father, like there is, there is no other way of allowing that truth not to descend, not just from our head, we must have the intellectual knowledge of the truth, but to allow that truth to inform, inform our hearts so that we have an intimate knowledge of it is to let Jesus and people who love us well, to let them be with us in these places where we fear we are unlovable. It, 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 there's no other way around it. If, if Jesus, you know, it's Jesus coming to Peter in his denial. It's in the place where he hated him. You know, he hated himself. Like you, and it's Peter allowing Jesus to come and sit with him at that second charcoal fire and just, do you love me? Simon, son of John, do you love me? It's the places where like the woman caught in adultery. It's, it's all the places of our heart where many times they're held by these young parts of us, like these early parts of our story where we learn how to survive. And it's in the places where, you know, these things come to the surface and we're convinced that there's no way anybody could love us. And as we let Jesus and people who do love us just sit with us in these places, the shame dissipates and we begin actually to see the truth where the enemy, as we know it, he's prowls like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour and he is relentless and he uses us and other people to, to try to destroy us. But it's the truth. It is the the truth of what, you know, the, the, wound, the wounds carry a message many times. They carry a message of you're unlovable. And we've had people say that to us, like, get your crap together. What's wrong with you? Like what, you know, and so we've had all these other messages, but Jesus comes to, to tell us the truth. And there's, there is no other way than vulnerability and dependence on Christ. It's not an academic degree. It's not a high position in the diocese. It's not all the things we do to try to make ourselves lovable. It is actually only through the crucifixion of the vulnerability and the nakedness and receiving love there, that then that truth from the head goes to the heart. And we have a lived experience of, oh, like I, this doesn't disqualify me from the God's love. And you can't conjure that up. You can't fake it. It's actually a revelation in the heart. And that, and that happens over time. Yeah. Sister, we just have a few minutes here left. And I'm thinking, you know, I'm thinking about myself. I'm thinking about thinking about our listeners and one, maybe it's not the, not the only obstacle that remains, but an obstacle that remains, I suppose, for, for many human hearts is the obstacle of despair, yeah. which says what you have said is true. What you have said is good. What you have said is beautiful, but is it for me? Right. I, I can perhaps a sense of the fact that it's, it's for someone or it's for the many, but is it for me? Because I think a lot of us find ways by which to, I don't know, evade the evangelical promise or to sidestep, like you said, the intensity or the intimacy of Christ's love for each one of us individually. So, you know, your testimony is, is powerful. And maybe just for, you know, for that listener who thinks all well and good, but not possible in this unique and terrible instance, what's a, what's a word of encouragement you could say to that listener? Mm. Yeah, those are hard. Those are tender places, like the places that we have that feel hopeless and that feel like they're never going to change and we're powerless to do anything about it. And sometimes that comes from a deep experience of being powerless and feeling hopeless or having a, a repetitive cycle in our life that we can't seem to, to break out of. And I think, and then sometimes it's a self-defense mechanism because the inside is really vulnerable where we feel so ugly or we so, we just, we're so convinced nobody could ever love us there. So it's like the the self-defense mechanism of hopelessness. And I think, um, I think honestly, just whatever that despair is saying to you, whatever is hopeless, like, what is that saying to you? And to just ask, and just to sit with the Lord today and say, Jesus, I feel hopeless about this part of my life. 
and I don't know what to do. And I'm just going to ask you to be with me and reveal to me whatever you want me to know. You just give me the willingness to be willing, Lord, just be with me, reveal whatever I need to know. Give me the willingness to be willing. And it's, that's the, it's the kindness of the Lord that interrupts the cycle of our self-hatred and hopelessness and shame. And, and we can cling to the truth. We know the gospels. We know how this story ends. And my spiritual director, he's wonderful. And he's an exorcist. And he always tells me that sin and suffering and sadness, they all have an expiration date, but love never does. Right. And he said, so what's most true is, is most eternal, you know? So love never ends uh, all the things we suffer with all these things, you know, like, like in the Lord of the Rings, you know, one day it will come, the fellowship will be reunited and, and they're bathed in white and they are full of joy. And, and so to, to cling on to the truth of, we know how the story ends and we know that Jesus says he's never going to leave us nor forsake us. So we can hold on to that intellectually and allow him to be with us in these places of our heart that are tender and, and see what he wants to reveal to each one of us. Mm. Boom. All right, sister. Um, maybe, any final thoughts, any things that the Lord has kind of like put on your heart for this time, this place, um, any other things that you want to leave our listeners with? I, I guess I would say that I want you to know that the journey is worth it. It's worth it. It is worth it letting Jesus come to every part of our heart of our life. It is worth it continuing to say yes. It is worth it continuing to forgive and, and, and to seek restoration in our heart. It is worth it. And there really is no other way, dear friends. And it, it does seem like an arduous path at times. And we all sit down by the side of the road and we say, man, is it worth it to keep going? And I'm here to tell you today, it is worth it. So keep going. And you are loved. You don't ever do it alone. Jesus is with you every step of the way. So say yes. Yeah. Amen. Hallelujah. Let's go, as America's youth would say. <laughs> um, sister, Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining us. We're blessed by it. Um, our, our listeners are blessed by it for sure. And so for those of you who are listening and would like to hear more from Sister Miriam James, please do check out her podcast, Abiding Together, available wherever podcasts are found. And then uh, Restore, a guided Lenten journal and Loved As I Am can be found on Amazon. So maybe not for this Lent, but for next Lent or for whatever season it is best for you to begin in earnest this work of healing and forgiveness. So thanks again to all of our supporters. If you'd like to tithe to our work, please check us out at patreon.com slash godsplaining. Please follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. I don't know how any of those things work, but apparently when you follow us, it helps stuff. And then the gospel is preached. So I'm in for helping stuff and preaching the gospel. Um, like, subscribe, leave a five-star review. Visit godsplaining.org to shop merchandise and also to get dates and information on upcoming Godsplaining events, specifically those retreats in July and August, where we hope to see you there. And uh, yeah, availability is limited. Things are filling up, so get after it. All right, that's all from us. We're praying for you. Please pray for us in return, and we will catch you next time on God's Planning.